I want to stress today because it's almost like I've got to set a number of, of, of um, disclosures before I start. Because Jesus said, be careful how you hear, not what you hear. So you can hear the same thing, but hear it differently. And so I want to start, and I shouldn't have to do this, but I do because people hear things that I've been congratulated for preaching things that I never preached. That was a great sermon. I said, what did you like about it? And they tell me what they like about it, but I didn't preach on it. I was like, okay, I don't know what you heard, but it wasn't me. So I'm not saying this. I'm not saying today, and you'll understand as I go forward, that God wants us to live in sin. I'm not saying it's okay to sin. Sin is bad. Did you hear that? Andrew said, sin is bad. Sin destroys. Sin is darkness. Sin is of the enemy. And God came to set us free from sin. Grace teaches us not to sin. Righteousness empowers us not to sin. Okay? So you heard it first. I don't want you to sin. We don't have a sin problem in this church. Nobody gets encouraged to sin. We don't clap you when you sin. We want you free from sin. But I've discovered there's only one way to be free from sin. It's not by working harder, shame, guilt, and condemnation. It's by understanding the truth sets us free. It's the nature of Jesus in me that frees me not to sin. I've tried the old way. It doesn't work. In religious churches, they sin just as much or more. They just hide it. So with that in mind, with the disclosure, I want to preach to you a message that if you get in your heart, will set you up for the rest of your life. This took me years to get. So I was the guinea pig. It, it took me years of wrestling with this because I was brought up in a godly home, but with a lot of religious concepts. And it's not a negative thing. A lot of good things, but there were things that, you know, you can just be one degree wrong and it can make all the difference. So if you have a steering wheel and you're just slightly off course, if you go to sleep, you'll end up in a ditch. It's just a little bit. So it's, it's the mixture that kills. I'll have you hot or cold, but if you're lukewarm, a bit of grace and a bit of the law together, he says, I'll spew you out of my mouth. The law is good because it leads us to Christ. Okay? Grace is good because it helps us to live in Christ. If you mix the two together, you get confusion. Okay? And that's what Paul was against in Galatians. He says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You started in the spirit, now you're trying to be perfected in the flesh. And so... We're going to unlock some things today. If you get in your heart, it will set you up for an amazing life of success, but also confidence before God. So you know every single day whether you've been good or bad, God still loves you the same and still hears you the same. It's very important. My confidence to go before God is not in how good I've been, whether I've read the Bible today. So even as a pastor, there's days where... I get really busy and I don't read as much as I should. At the end of the day, I still have the same access and confidence before God as when I've read lots of chapters and feel really good about myself. So you ready? This is a humdinger. All right, Romans 8.3. What the law was powerless to do because it's weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his son Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law would be fully met in us. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. I said last week there are three things in this passage of scripture that's coming up. 
that give you your confidence before God. Last week we said, when Jesus died on the cross, my sin was condemned in his body. Isn't that good? Sin is a debt. Forgiveness is the debt paid. You never, in Christ, you never have a sin problem per se anymore. The debt was paid in full. Jesus said at the cross, it is finished. So he said, all those that are in Christ now, the sin problem is dealt with, paid in full. You are no longer a sinner. The debt has been paid. The condemnation that comes against you when you sin was absorbed by Jesus on the cross. He condemns sin in his flesh. So when the devil comes against you to condemn you when you do sin, remind him that all the condemnation that you try to put on me was absorbed by Jesus on the cross. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're not in Christ, the condemnation for your sin is rightfully upon you. But the moment you're in Christ, he has no legal means to condemn you. Everything was against you was, was nailed to the cross. So you're now free from all accusation. And he comes to accuse you. You didn't measure up. So we think he's got a point when we've done something really bad. Then he comes and says, you know, those little things you didn't measure up. He's always accusing us. And we say to him, listen, Mr. Hairy Legs, at the cross, Jesus took all my sin, all my condemnation, all the accusation. He piled it up and he bore it at the cross for me. He said, it is finished. He said to you, Satan, that you have no longer any means to judge me because I paid the price that they couldn't pay, and now they are in me. And so when you look at them, you have to look at them through me. And I am clean, perfect, and holy. See, the issue, and I'm going to go on to this in a minute, is that most Christians don't understand that they are seen in Christ. They look at themselves outside Christ. They keep thinking that both God and the devil is evaluating them on their own. But you are hidden in Christ. In a sense, you don't exist. You are in him. And so when God looks at you, he sees the obedient son. And so you cannot be condemned. So when Jesus died on the cross, my sin was condemned in his body. The debt of sin is paid. You are forgiven. Oh, but what if I sin tomorrow? You are still forgiven. Colossians says he forgave all your sins. Remember at the cross, all your sins were in the future. But he says, you know what? I'm going to gather all the sin from the beginning to the end and put them on Jesus at the cross. That's why his sacrifice is so significant. He gathered all the sin. And he says, I forgive it all. All your sins are covered. Now, that's good news. Because I told you last week that as a little kid, I had this weird concept, maybe because of the preaching I heard, that anyone caught in sin, at that moment, if Jesus came, they'd be left behind because... This sin wasn't forgiven. That's how my little head thought as a young kid. But I began to discover older heads still think the same way. They think that if you don't deal with sin, you have an account with God that hasn't been settled. And if Jesus comes back, you're left behind. So I'd say, then what sort of sin would disqualify you? Oh, big sins. Like what? So let's rank them. Adultery? Yep, if you give me that and Jesus comes, you're out. All right, what about... Um, what about lustful thoughts? Well, I'm not too sure about that. What about little lies? Well, I'm not sure. What about sins of omissions, things you should have done but you didn't do? Yeah. Well, no, no, I think you get there. <laughs> James says, him who doesn't, who doesn't commit 
It doesn't keep all the law. You just break one point, you've broken all the law. So he's saying that if you just do one little sin, it's as much as you've broken every sin. So all the world would be held guilty before God. So we need a saviour. So you're not getting to heaven. You don't get into the kingdom based on your good works. We are saved for good works, but the basis of our confidence is in Jesus' obedience. And when I stand before God, it's not about how good I was. Yes, I'll be rewarded for my service, but the basis of my entry into heaven and being part of the family is one, you have two questions. Are you in Christ or are you in Adam? That's all he's going to ask you. Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? How do I get in there? By receiving Jesus as Lord. He measured up for me. And so when I get in, God's going to say, I see you in Christ. Welcome in, son, daughter. That's my confidence. If it's in my own ability and flesh and behavior, we're all sunk. Because not one person here measured up fully this week. The Pharisees thought they did. So Jesus said, you know what? I'll show you what it means to measure up. I'll ramp the law up even more. Not just externally getting it right, but internally. If you look at a woman with lust in your heart, it's the same as committing adultery. Why was he doing that? To show all the world that we needed a saviour. Is that clear? Second point. When God looks at us, so we talked about the cross and sin and debt. Your sin has been paid for in full. You are forgiven. I'm just going back to point one. Remember, Paul never, ever, ever suggests that you should ask Jesus for forgiveness once you're born again. Oh, so you're telling me I don't need to ask for forgiveness? No, he, he, he leads us into a lifestyle of repentance. Well, that's just semantic. No, 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 it's not. Forgiveness is a consciousness of sin and something wrong with me. The debt's been paid. You can't ask for a debt to be paid again that's been paid. That's what forgiveness is. Forgive us our debts. Sin is a debt that's paid by the life of Jesus. So now we embrace a lifestyle of repentance. When I do sin, I go before God and say, Lord, what caused me to think that way, that I would choose an inferior way to live? Lord, change the way I think. If I've been angry with someone, I'm sorry, Lord, that's not the nature of a son. Show me why I did that. Cause me to think different. It's a turning away from a life of sin into a life of godliness. But it, when I'm asking for forgiveness, I'd walk around for days. It was like the, you know, the, the old religious things of whipping yourself. God, forgive me, forgive me. I never felt forgiven. And so I would ask him a hundred times, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. It was like a broken record. God saying, oh, I did it, the cross. And if I change my mind, I'll let you know. No, you know. It's like, I've forgiven you. I've forgiven you. And see, I always felt in, out, in, out, in, out. Insecure. We bred a whole generation of insecure Christians and felt proud about it. It kept me in control of others. You better watch out. But see, it's a song, isn't there? You better watch out. But I began to discover that security is what transforms people. Insecurity never, ever changed a man or woman of God. It's security. Oh, don't make them secure. They'll, they'll, you know, it'll just be a license to sin. Like, really? 
So if I get told I'm really loved by God and, and He's always with me and never will forsake me, and even when I'm down and, and depressed and in sin that He doesn't, doesn't run away from me, that will just encourage me to sin more. That's what religion does. The truth is, when I know God's with me in my sin, it helps me get out. Because remember, transformation is only possible in His presence. You have to rely on your own effort to get out of sin. You're doomed. If God really does leave you in your sin, it's all over over. The psalmist says, I can make my bed in hell or in heaven and you're with me. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. What part don't we understand? Oh, but that's only if you don't sin. Really? Really? What sort of doofus thinks that? Really? So when Adam and Eve sinned, I'm getting off topic, but, but when Adam and Eve sinned, God didn't say, well, clean your own mess up, make yourself some fig leaves, get some skin off an animal, and when you clean yourself up, I'll come and talk to you. No, he came searching for them in the garden and said, where are you? He clothed them. Remember, I've taught you when, Je- I taught you when Jesus was on the cross and he said, why have you forsaken me? Oh, there you go. God forsakes people when they sin. See, he forsook Jesus. And he forsook Jesus because he took on our sin. But the psalmist doesn't say that. The psalmist gives us insight into what Jesus was crying out. Because in that same psalm, that Psalm 24, 22 or 24, he says, when Jesus cries out that prayer, because the psalmist is already articulating what Jesus would say, the Father repeats in that psalm, I have not forsaken you or hidden my face from you. See, the reason Jesus cried out that prayer is because that's what happens when we are deceived by sin. It was the cry of humanity. Why have you forsaken me? Because that's what we feel like when we sin. Where are you, God? And God was saying, I am reconciling you in Christ. I am with Jesus all the way. It's like, really, Jesus can handle sin, but God can't. Sin's kryptonite and God's superman. And we can't put the two together. No, God was in Christ reconciled. This was a a tag team thing. God was not afraid of our sin. Sin's not some weird thing that freaks God out. God was with Christ. And Jesus saying, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because he is fully God and fully man. And he's covered in sin and feeling the shame and the pain that sin transfers itself on us to make us feel that God doesn't love us. That's the primary power of sin, to disconnect us from a loving Father. And when we feel disconnected, we are hopeless. And I don't know about you, but whenever I feel disconnected from God, I'm more inclined to propel out of control, more and more and more. Well, what's the use anymore? He doesn't love me. He's given up on me. I may as well just sin. You know, As if that's really clever, but that's how you think. But when I know God is with me, It's like, I can get out of this. There's no shame. He sees me and he says, you know what? That's not a good choice, but I love you. And I'm going to get you out of this mess. It's the prodigal son. The father comes looking for the son. The father sees the son before the son sees the father. And the father still embraces him. Why have we turned God into such an ogre? (laughs) Such a harsh, demanding. What have we done to God? What has religion done to God? So we're going to talk about righteousness today. And this is, if you get this, this is going to help. And I know you will. 
Three things I want to talk about today. Number one, the revelation of righteousness. So our second part today is when God sees you, he sees his obedient son. And so we're going to talk about what he sees, which is righteousness. So the first part of this I want to unpack is the revelation of righteousness. Hebrews 10.6, Jesus said in verse 7 of Hebrews 10, he says, Behold, it is written of me, I have come to do your will. The prophet said one would come the Messiah who would fully do the will of God. Now that's unusual because nobody up to then had ever done the will of God. But Jesus is coming to live a perfect life. So as we study this passage, we see there's nothing in the life of Jesus throughout his time on earth where the devil could ever say, gotcha, I caught you. I saw you when no one else was looking. Not once. Not once did they catch Jesus being angry. Oh, son of God, he just let go of a four-letter word. He never did it. The devil never could accuse him. And you better believe it, he was watching him every step of the way. Because he's the, he's the biggest legalist of them all. And not once, it says, the devil had nothing on the Son of God. That's amazing to me. So this willing, perfect nature, this is a big deal. Perfect, completely perfect, never sinned, never could be accused. This nature went to the cross for me. And at the cross, Jesus took my sinful nature, absorbed that. Father judged that. The penalty was paid. And there was a transference at the cross where Jesus got my nature and I got his. This whole obedient life on earth was for me. Jesus' life lived down on earth somehow in the spirit realm is legally transferred to me. He was living it for me. Romans 5.19 says, Through the disobedience of one man, everyone was condemned. But through the obedience of one man, and his name is? Yeah, that's good. Many were made righteous. So hear that? Through the obedience of Jesus' life. He came to do Father's will. Always perfect. Through his obedience, everyone here is made righteous. Not through your obedience. Say it again. It's not because of your obedience. That's called self-righteousness. Boasting. A lot of religious people do that. And they point the finger at other people. But hang on. The Bible says... Through his obedience, I made righteous. Did you get that? It's a big deal. Because when the devil accuses you, you have to say to him, Romans chapter 4, verse 6, sorry, chapter 5, verse 19 says, Because of Jesus' obedience, I've been made righteous. So go away. Yeah, but you've been disobedient. No, 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 no. Through the obedience of Jesus, I've been made righteous. You're looking at the wrong thing, Mr. Devil. When God looks at me, he looks at me through the sun. And the sun measured up for me. Amen. And I'm in him. I don't know what you're talking about. <sighs> Romans 4, 5 says, To him who does not work but believes on the one who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. 
Just as David describes the blessedness of the man and the woman, I put that in, to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. We have self-righteousness and a theological term called imputed righteousness. This righteousness not only comes from Christ, but actually is the righteousness of Christ itself. And here the scripture is saying it is imputed to us by faith. So the righteousness that God is looking for is not yours. It's actually Jesus. And it's actually his very righteousness placed inside of you. It's not about your works. That's why David said the blessedness of the man or woman who has had the righteousness of Christ imputed to them. So when God looks at you, that's why I can say I am a saint. I am holy. I am perfect. I am forgiven. I am free from accusation. And yet there can be flaws in my life. And see, a lot of Christians can't reconcile that. They confuse position with condition. Position changes condition, not the other way around. We are in Christ, perfect, pure, holy. And that's the basis that God works to us. He reminds us of our standing so our condition can change. Thank you. Righteousness. We are made instantly, irreversibly, and eternally right with God through no efforts on our own, but simply by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. It is the very nature of Jesus in me, so I can stand before the Father, free from shame, free from guilt, free from condemnation, free from fear and inferiority because I am in Christ. Do you hear that today? There, if every one of you today are born again, if you are, you can stand before God with no condemnation, no inferiority, no fear, no anxiety, regardless of what you have done. Now, I know there are days where I really nail it in God, kind of people, read my Bible, pray, and they're all good things. But you know what? That doesn't give me any more authority to stand before God, free from accusation, fear. Because the righteousness that I have is given to me from God. It's actually the righteousness of Jesus. That is the basis of my confidence. I am in Christ Jesus. So on your darkest, rottenest day, you better stand up and say, Hello, Father. It's me, the one that you love, that you're besotted with. The one that when you look at, you see Jesus, clean, perfect, holy. That is the supremacy of spiritual warfare, which is to be able to stand before God in your darkest moment and know that you're loved and clean. When God created man, he created man on the sixth day. The reason being is because he wanted man to start his life with everything complete and finished on the seventh day. He was made on the eve of the sixth day as a picture to all of us that the work has been done and now we get to enjoy it. It takes revelation to understand righteousness. Romans 1.17 says, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. This will go against all your inclination, all your religious teaching, all your concepts of God, it's so foreign. That's why the gospel is good news. So you're telling me that even on my darkest day, God still loves me. 
Absolutely. He does. He's smitten with you because of the work of Christ. Most believers still think that God is encouraging us to look to our own behavior as a means of of support and, and, and encouragement. But God's not. Jesus measured up for you. Did you hear that? He measured up for you. Romans 5.17 says that righteousness is a gift that we receive, not a reward that we achieve. It's a gift that we receive. It says in Romans 5.17, if by one man's trespass death reigned to all to, sorry, death reigned through that one man, much more now will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. Did you hear that? Righteousness is a gift we receive by faith. You don't have to earn it, you just have to receive it. Thank you, Lord, you've made me clean. He says much more. If, if death reigned because of one man's disobedience, and we see the result of that everywhere, so much more, 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 much more. How much? Much more. Will those who receive the gift of righteousness and the and, and the gift of grace, they were reigning life. See, the key to reigning in life is, is receiving the much more of the grace of God, the righteousness of God upon us. Another thing about righteousness, it's received from faith or by faith from first to last. This is important. Philippians 3.9 says we are found in him, not having a righteousness of our own, which comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Galatians 3.3, I said to you before, Paul says, you foolish Galatians, you've begun in the spirit, now you're trying to perfect it in the flesh. See, a lot of people have no issues with receiving the grace of God to be made righteous at salvation. I, I, I can believe that, faith. But now, now they're saved, faith goes out the window and they're reliant on good works. The just shall live by faith. It's from faith to faith. Paul says, why have you begun in the spirit and now you're trying to be affected in the flesh? Why did you come to Jesus and say, I'm a hopeless lost sinner. I need your help. Save me. I need your grace. I need you to make me clean. Why have you done that? And the moment he makes you clean, you say, thank you for that. Now, I'm going to maintain that relationship by working really hard. He said, no, the way you came in is the way that you need to live. Yeah. What has happened to us? Who put all these rules and regulations on us that made us so condemned? Clean up your life now. I couldn't. That's why I got saved. I'm here to tell you today that nothing can make you unrighteous. Wow. Hebrews 10.10 10 says, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus. Listen, once for all. He did it once for all. Hebrews 10.14 says, By one sacrifice. You can't sacrifice enough. You can't pray hard enough, work hard enough, be obedient long enough to ever warrant God saying, Well done. I'm impressed by you. You're righteous. You know what? You're as good as Jesus today. You nailed it. I'm in awe of you. 
By one sacrifice, he has made you perfect forever, those who have been made holy. See, that's, that's condition and position. He's made you perfect position to those who have been made holy. Condition. By one sacrifice, he nailed it. He, he cleansed you. He healed you. He saved you. Nothing can make you unrighteous because it's not about your righteousness. If it can make you unrighteous, then Jesus has failed. His righteousness inside you has somehow been contaminated. God is not looking at your efforts. Are you ready? The entire new covenant can be summed up in this phrase. Are you ready? Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Don't add to him. Don't add to him. Jesus plus something equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If there's any basis for you to think that you have something to do with God being impressed about you, you are severely deluded. Is this coming across strong enough? The law is radical. It demands perfect obedience and performance. Perfect. You, oh, people come to me, and it's like, a, if I could, I'd give them a holy slap. It's like, do you really realize what you're saying? If you want to be, if you want to get to heaven based on your own good works, the law is radical. One thing, right out. You're out. Because that's what God, God is perfect. He is holy. There's not one smidgen of anything about him that's out of kilter. And God says, if you want to measure up to me and relate to me based on your holiness, here's the standard. All the best, Jack. And at the, at the mountain, they should have said, when, instead of saying all these we will do, when God gave them the Ten Commandments, they should have said, you've got to be joking. I couldn't even live one of those for one day. I need a saviour. And God would have said, okay. But man in his delusion thinks that we can measure up to God. Really? The law is radical, but the Bible says that the new covenant is radical. It provides perfect righteousness. Here's the demand. Here's the provision. It's called Jesus, and I'm in him. So I measure up constantly. Perfect. Hebrews 8, 6 says that we have a better covenant based on better promises. But most of the body of Christ is living under an old covenant, measuring up, guilty, depressed. Uh, they come to church, they can't worship because I, I just feel so unworthy. I'm uh, just a little maggot. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I don't know if I'll ever get anywhere. No. Jesus measured up for you. The law says, do, grace says, done. What the law demands, grace provides. Do, 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 do. Done, 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 done. Unrest. Anxiety, depression, freedom, grace, joy. I'm on this side. I'm on this side. That's overrated. Religion's overrated. It wears people out. Grace soothes, tends, changes, transforms. Amen. God is not interested in your boasting. Oh, Lord, look at me. I'm so good. We do that when we fast and pray. Oh, look at me. I've nailed it today. Can't say no. No, son. 
We, we laugh about that, but imagine, imagine in your family if your son came to you and said, well, I'm worthy today, Dad, to eat from your banqueting table because I've been such a good son. He's like, you know, send him to the doctor's love. I think he's got like a fever. No, he just comes because he knows he's loved in the son. He's got my name, so he's got everything. That's all I need. You're in Christ, you've got it. You're settled, you're complete, forgiven, loved. Now become like Jesus. That's what righteousness is about. Now I want to talk to you very quickly on the confession of righteousness. Romans 4, 5. So we've established what righteousness. It is the very nature of Jesus in me. Now the confession of righteousness. Romans 4, 5 says, To him who does not work but believes. Say believe. He believes on him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness. This is what God wants you to use your faith for. Why does God give you faith? To believe in things that seem impossible. That God could count me as righteous even when I fail. The confession of righteousness is incredibly important. If you're righteous by works, you don't need faith. So those who boast about how good they are, it's simply this. They don't want to exercise faith in what Jesus did on their behalf. They'd rather their faith be in their ability than in God's ability. Today, you need faith every day that God has cleansed you through his son and that you are perfect and free from accusation. That's where I focus my faith. So when I'm in bondage, I have to confess that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When I'm in my darkest moment, I need faith to believe and declare who I am. So I tell people, please don't sin. But if you find yourself there, this is what you do do when you're in the pit. You ready? You look at the devil and you say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, don't do that, brother. You'll encourage them to sin. No, don't be so stupid. They're just reminding themselves of who they are. I don't belong in this pit because I'm the right. It's like I'm righteous. I don't know how I got here. Maybe I was just having a brain fade, but I'm the, this is not who I am. So we say to those who are sick, don't confess you're sick, say you're well. But we say to the, the, the Christian who's a sinner, don't confess you're righteous, confess you're a sinner. Isn't that odd? Because faith is about confessing who we are in the spirit realm. I'm healed. I'm forgiven, I'm prosperous. But we do it for everything except sin. Oh, we must confess our sin. That's like saying to a sick person, you must confess you're sick. Because that's who you are. No, I'm not sick. I'm, 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 I'm a holy body having a, a sick you know, experience. But it's not who I am. I am in Christ. I am holy, pure. My body is the dwelling place. I do not accept sickness to have any right to dwell in this body. Yes, you may come and attack me, but I don't accept you. That's not my, I'm not a sick person. I'm a well person who's fighting off sickness. Amen? And I'm a righteous person that is resisting sin. So I don't confess I'm a sinner. I confess I'm a righteous man that's learning how to overcome sin. So in my sin, I say, God, thank you, I'm righteous. So I say to people, if you, whatever ugly sin you get in, Say this before you get in sin will help you get out of sin. But if you find yourself in there and you've forgotten what I said, the moment you come to your senses, 
See, the, the prodigal son came to his senses, but he rehearsed who he wasn't rather than who he was. I'm unworthy. Make me like a slave. The father changed his confession. If you're going to come back home, you've got to change your confession. This is who you are. You're a son. You're a son. So hear me again. I'm not advocating sin. But I am advocating the way to get out of sin is to confess who you are. You need faith. Everything comes by faith. Amen? Amen. Romans 5, 17 says that we receive the revelation. When we receive the revelation of grace and righteousness, we will reign in life. If I reign in life, my doubts, my addictions won't reign. If I get the revelation of righteousness, I, I, this here is a absolute 100% guarantee. You ready? If you confess you're righteous, sin will not reign. It cannot reign. It's the times when I'm under the most pressure that I'm tempted to back off and think, you know what, maybe I just need to pray more, fast more, whip myself more. But Jesus has earned my way back to God. There's nothing I need to earn anymore. I'm there. My disobedience, listen, does not disqualify Jesus' obedience. My disobedience does not disqualify Jesus' obedience. That's why Romans is written. How much more? He's trying to get it into our head. Your disobedience doesn't cancel out God's obedience through Jesus on any given day. His grace is more powerful than my sin. Where sin increased, grace abounds all the more. His grace is more powerful than my sin. His love is more powerful than my shame. His righteousness is more powerful than my guilt. That's the power of the gospel. It's the much more. If you have confidence today to pray because you've been holy, you're basing your confidence on something that's flawed. Equally, if you withdraw from God because you've done things wrong, you're basing your insecurity and guilt on something that's profoundly wrong. Because God's not inspecting you. He's inspecting Jesus. Remember when they brought the lamb in the tabernacle as the sacrifice on behalf of the people? They would bring the lamb that was without blemish. And the priest wouldn't go up and say, thank you for the lamb, but let me look at you. He wouldn't even look at the person. He'd look at the lamb. And he'd say, yeah, that's, that's perfect and holy. This was a picture of Jesus. It couldn't take away his sin, but it was a picture of what was to come, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They inspect the lamb and say, right, his perfect nature, it's a lamb, it'll go to you and your rotten nature will go to him. And we'll sacrifice him on your behalf and you'll be clean for the next year. And the blood of bulls and goats could never take away our sin. They have to continually offer it. But one man came, offered one sacrifice and made you perfect forever. Yeah. You get his nature forever. And he took your rotten nature and killed it on the cross. Mm. It's nowhere to be seen. Your sins are being forgiven. They are remembered no yeah. more. Amen. There's not one thing that you could ever do now or in the future that could ever qualify for you to be accused because it was buried at the cross. Do you not know what happened at the cross? All your sins, everything that could accuse you was killed Amen. at the cross. Amen. It's buried. It, it's gone. You can't see it. When something's buried, you can't see it. 
There's no evidence that it ever existed. And now in that place is the perfect life of Jesus in you. See, the message of grace elevates Jesus. The message of the law and religion, it, it makes the cross of no effect. John 14, 20 says, In that day you will know that I'm in the Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. In that day you will know that I, Jesus saying, I'm in the Father, you're in me, and I'm in you. I'm in the Father, you're in me, and I'm in you. Jesus is in the Father, we are in Jesus, and Jesus is in us. Did you get that? So to know the Father... You've got to be in Jesus, and Jesus has to be in you. Point two, there's only one person in all the world that's in the Father. His name is Jesus. He's the only one that can qualify for this relational standing. Do you notice in this passage, but it never says that you're in the Father. Jesus says, I'm in the Father, you're in me, and I'm in you. Nobody can be in the Father except through Jesus. He's the only one that qualified. He is the perfect one. And he is in the Father, the Father is in him. And so if I'm going to be in the Father accepted by him, I better be found in the Son. I better be enclosed in him and him in me. I better be going to the Father because of what Jesus did and not what I did. It says that we are armed with the weapons of righteousness on the left hand and the right. Do you remember the story when that naughty disciple Judas betrayed Jesus? And he came armed with weapons. Do you remember that story? And they came, this mob of angry people against Jesus, armed with weapons of accusation and anger, ready to take him out. And Jesus asked this amazing question. He says, who are you seeking? Not what do you want, but who are you seeking? And this is what you should ask the devil when he comes with you, against you with weapons of accusation. Who is it you're seeking? Who are you seeking? See, this is our confession. Not what do you want, but who are you seeking? Who, do you, who, who are you seeking? Who are you after? See, Jesus is about to unload his, the greatest weapon of all. It's the weapon of identity. He says, he asked twice, who are you seeking? Why? Because every word is established. Two is the number of witness. He says, I've got this witness in my heart. He says, I am. When he said that, they all withdrew. See, when you come against the devil by declaring who you are, that is the greatest weapon against the enemy. See, when he said that, there was no way that the enemy could touch him. Now, we know that Jesus gave his life freely. But for you and I, we are not called to go to the cross. We're called to have authority over the enemy. And every time you declare who you are in Christ, the enemy has to withdraw. Are you hearing this? Who are you after? Well, I'm after that sinner. I'm after that one I'm going to accuse you. I've come with my weapons of accusation. And you just say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I don't know who you're talking about. And the enemy has to withdraw. He cannot stand the confession of righteousness. Are you getting this? Oh, there's more. The devil wants to deceive humanity about their identity. That that is his number one ploy. Listen carefully. He's come to deceive you. Now get this. This is amazing when it came to me. To the unbeliever, he 
attempts to veil their sin nature. He says, there is nothing wrong with you. Have you noticed that? Every unbeliever, the devil is veiling that there's a sin nature. He says, you don't need God. There's nothing wrong with you. But he comes to the believer and veils their Christ nature. And he says, there's something wrong with you. That's what he does. He veils your true identity. So to the sinner, he says, you're not a sinner. Nothing wrong with you. To the believer, he says, you don't have Christ in you. There's something wrong with you. He is a deceiver. Remember what I said about the devil? Whatever he says, turn around 180 degrees and you've got the truth. To the unbeliever, he says, if you were bad, you wouldn't do good things. To the believer, he says, if you weren't good, so if you were good, you wouldn't do bad things. I'll say it again. He says to the unbeliever, if you were really bad, you wouldn't do all these good things, good works. You're a good person. To the believer, he says, if you were really good, you wouldn't do those bad things. And that's why we need to know who we are in Christ. Our confession is that we're righteous. So when, when God came to Abraham and he cut a covenant with Abraham, there's a picture of these amazing burning torch and etc. all these types. But it's a picture essentially of God and Jesus cutting a covenant with Abraham. And here's the amazing thing. When they cut the covenant, they put Abraham to sleep. In other words... You'll have nothing to do with this. We want it to work. <laughs> if it's going to work, you better stay out of it. The problem with Moses and the commandments, they had everything to do about it. So he says, no, I want this to work. I'm going to cut a covenant with the sun as a picture of what's going to happen in the future. It's going to be all about us. You stay asleep. When you wake up, it'll all be done. Abraham had one job before he went to sleep. Do you know what it was? These vultures came to attack the sacrifice. And his job was to shoo away the birds. You only have one job. You don't have to make yourself righteous. Your job is to shoo away the birds, to confess that you are righteous, to say to every bird that attacks the sacrifice of the cross, to diminish it, to say that you're not worthy, that Jesus wasn't enough. You say, depart from me, you birds, you vultures. That's our job. Confess that I'm righteous. Wow. Last point, and this is very quick. So we talked about the, what righteousness is, the effects of righteousness. We talked about the confession, how important it is to confess that we're righteous. Now here's the last one, the effects of righteousness. So what righteousness is, how to confess it, now it's effect. Romans 5.19 says, Out of the obedience of one man, many were made righteous. Out of the obedience of one man, many were made righteous. Don't miss this. This is your ticket to success. You are positioned in the one that was perfectly obedient. Deuteronomy 28 says, if you're obedient, I'm going to bless you. Out of the obedience of one man, many were made righteous. We are positioned in the one that was perfectly obedient. So all the blessings of Deuteronomy 28 are mine. There's no curse. It's only blessing. Because he was perfect. He measured up for me. I qualify for the blessings of God because of Jesus' obedience, not because of mine. Listen to this. God will never bless you on the basis of your good works. Ouch. He won't even bless you on the basis of obedience. Double ouch. He blesses me on the basis 
of the obedience of Jesus. That's the basis. Good theology is what allows blessing to flow. On the head of the righteous, it says, on the head of the righteous, on the head of the righteous, blessings will be crowned. Blessings are crowned on the head of the righteous. There's a blessing that flows because I have a mindset that my blessing is not coming because I work hard or am obedient, but they come because Jesus was obedient. I'm not finished yet. We inherit promises because of our position, not our condition. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, No matter how many promises there are, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. In other words, every promise is yes because of what Jesus did. Okay? They are fulfilled because of the obedience of Jesus. My blessing hinges on my understanding that they come because Jesus was obedient. Listen, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, through him, through my understanding of what he did, the amen is spoken by me. I say, Lord, because you are obedient, let your obedience be the instigator of my blessing. I have to speak. I have to agree. I am righteous because of you. And so therefore, I am the seed of Abraham and an heir according to the promises, not based on my good works, but based on what you did, Jesus. Your obedience unlocks blessing in my life. And here's where it's easily missed. There is blessing in obedience. Listen, this is where we can get so wrong. It's obedience that flows out of identity. This is the tricky part. Jesus said, be careful how you hear, not what you hear. Two people can do the same thing and get a different outcome in the kingdom. That's why two people can tithe. One is blessed and one isn't. One's tithing out of works. This is a formula to get God to do something. One's tithing out of identity because they know they are blessed that they know they're a son and a daughter, and this is how we live in the kingdom. Here we go. The commands of God are indicators of understood identity. The commands of God are indicators of understood identity. And that's why people can read 1 John and see it all the wrong way. It intimidates them. The commands of God are indicators. So I'll give you an example. If the Bible says to me that I'm to love people, okay, just making something up. Not that it doesn't say that. <laughs> that command's not there. Right, I need to do that. I've got to work on that this week. No, if I'm having trouble with that command, it's a signpost to tell me that I truly don't believe my identity. And all these commands of God are just, they're mirrors, they're signposts that tell me what I truly believe about who God is to me and who I am to Him. They're not things I have to do. They're they're signposts from God to reveal to me how I truly am. This is what happened with the rich man and Jesus. The whole story is about this. He's trying to show this rich man what's really in his heart. 
So Jesus gives him a command that really reflects what's inside him. He thinks he's com- committed all the laws, fulfilled them all. Jesus just pulls out another command and shows him what he truly believes about himself and God. These commands are signposts. So I inherit the promises. I am blessed by God because of who I am as a son, because of his obedience. And out of my relationship with him, my love for him, I tithe, I give. But it's out of the overflow of my identity. Commands are indicators of understood identity. And Jesus has measured up. Jesus is qualified for me. Jesus is the blessing in me. Jesus is perfect. Jesus fulfilled Deuteronomy 28. And so I don't come thinking, God, I've nailed it. I've given. I've been good. And I qualify for the blessing. That is the law. I am blessed because of Jesus. He made me a seed of Abraham. He measured up perfectly for me. He became poor for me so I could become rich in every way. And all that I get is a result of the Father's favor on the Son and all those that are in the Son. And because I am in Him, I give. See, if you believe that and you don't give, then the command of giving has shown you that you really don't believe that. So don't turn the commands into do, 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 do. They're a result of being done, 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 done. They're merely telling me, do I truly believe that I'm righteous and loved and blessed because of what Jesus did? I'm giving you security and a foundation for blessing, stability, access for the rest of your life because you're hidden in Christ. And that's what the Father sees. As soon as he sees a son or daughter in Christ, he says to himself, how can I bless that person? But the problem is if you step out of that in your mind and live like you are divorced from being in Christ, blessing doesn't flow. You're on your own, Jack. Just get back in where the blessing lives. Thank you, Father. I'm deeply loved because of the obedience of Jesus. Now, pour out your blessing because of Jesus. He measured up for me. Thank you, Lord. Show me what it means to live as a dearly loved child of God. That's the effects. The disciples asked Jesus as we close, what shall we do to do the works of God? And Jesus said, go to church, read your Bible. Don't drink, don't smoke. Don't hang around with people that do that. Don't go to barn dancing. Don't wear makeup. Don't wear tight jeans. And be kind to your mother-in-law. Okay, you can leave the last one, but do all the rest. <laughs> what should we do, Lord, that we would do the works of God? And you know what Jesus said? Just believe. Put your faith in Jesus today and what he did for you. He measured up for you. He loved you. He took your identity so you get his. And now the Father sees you in Christ and he, you are positioned for favor. And all of his love and goodness. That's the good news. Isn't it better than religion? A little bit better or a lot better? Amen. So Father, today, free us from every religious concept, every demonic lie that would try and hinder the greatness of the sacrifice of Jesus at the cross. We say today, Lord, we are in Christ Jesus and we will not move from that place. 
If you're listening today on live stream, YouTube, podcast, or in this building today, and you don't know Jesus, there's only two places you find yourself in life, in Adam, which is really outside of Christ, unforgiven, on your own, or you're in Christ. Jesus said that he's come to you. All those who are weary and heavy laden to give you rest. He's come, he's sacrificed his life for you. And he offers you the free gift of forgiveness. And all you need to say is, today I believe in your work on the cross for me. You died so I wouldn't have to die. And if you accept him into your life today and you ask him to come into your life, to forgive you and cleanse you, he will come in and he'll make you new inside. You'll be a new creation. All your sins will be forgiven. His perfect nature will come on the inside of you. If you're listening today and you've never done that, if you're watching on live stream or here today, right wherever you are, reach out to God. That's what faith is. It's reaching out and saying, Father, thank you for Jesus. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me. Be my Lord and my Savior. I invite you to come in and make me a new creation. Thank you that you so love me. Thank you that your grace is more powerful than my sin. Thank you that your righteous nature absorbs all my failings and makes me right before God. If you would confess your sin and your need of him, he will come in and make you alive today. So why don't you pray that prayer wherever you are. Ask him to come in. Just in your own thoughts, in your own language, ask Jesus to forgive you and come into your heart. And if you've done that today, and you're on live stream, email us. Let us know you've done that. We'd love to pray for you. If you're here today and you've done that for the first time, come and see myself, Pastor Dean, one of our leaders. Let someone here know today that you prayed that prayer. We'd love to get alongside you and help you. And Lord, I just want to finish by praying for every person that you would free them from condemnation and guilt. Cause them to understand today how clean and pure and righteous they are because of Jesus. And we say today these words, Jesus is enough. Let's say that together today. Jesus is enough. Once more, Jesus is enough. Thank you all for that. Amen.